0: The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Relationships, and Disciple First hosted a track called Developing a Disciple Making Culture. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing into just a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash DiscipleFirst. Discipleship.org slash 1st Here's today's audio. So we're really excited
1: for you to be a part of um, what we're gonna be sharing today. We're talking about uh, creating a culture of disciple making uh, in the life of your church. How many of you are on a church staff? If you could raise your hand for just a minute. Okay, so good number of us. So, um, this is, gonna, this is where we're directed. We're, what we're going to be talking about this session and the next following sessions is what do you do to change the culture of uh, your church? Uh, before I jump into it, let me give you a little picture of, uh, just kind of let you know a little bit of my family here. This is, I'm the ugly guy in the middle. Uh, this is my wife, Liz. We've been married 32 years. Uh, that's a picture of long suffering on her part, uh, but she is she is awesome, amazing, and a prayer warrior and a godly godly woman and a disciple maker. She disciples. She works at a, a public school, and so she disciples people in her school. Uh, this is my daughter Abby next to her. She is at A and University in in Texas and. I didn't hear a whoop from you. I was I was waiting for it. He's an Aggie Aggie grad. So anyway, um, and she just got to lead one of her uh, sorority sisters of Christ and is discipling a group of girls uh, right now. Uh, next to her is my daughter Abby uh, Leah Beth, that is uh, lives in New York City and she. Uh, is a part of a ministry up there, reaching out to actors and actresses and those in the theater world. And she's got a group of of girls that she's discipling as well. And then these are my parents, Ron and Kay. Uh, My dad was in ministry for 40 years in the local church as a worship leader and uh, then was a chaplain uh, for a while and now he said okay at 82 I think I'm retired but uh, he is still faithfully sharing the gospel with their neighbors and uh, they're on a cruise right now so I guess that's what you do they're spending my inheritance is what they're doing Uh, but really thankful for the legacy and the heritage that they've uh, provided for me, and so what, we're, what I'm going to be doing is sharing a little bit that comes out of the overflow of our experience in Texas. I pastor a church in Texas, uh, First uh, First is the name of the church that I pastor. Uh, we run about uh, 1,500 on Sunday morning, about 3,000 over 3,500 or so um, in membership. Um, we are. Uh, in a process of intentionally building disciple-making strategies there. I've been there for 11 years for that. I was in a church in Oklahoma, which I'll share a little bit more about uh, in a little bit. But we wanted to talk today about culture. So what we're going to do is I'm going to be giving you some things to write down on your handout. Keith's going to be emailing you uh, some uh, electronic copies. uh, And there's going to be an assessment. After I get finished, so I'm going to give do a little bit of teaching. And then after that, we're going to go to an assessment where you're going to assess your church. All right. And then after that, so if you're here with your team, that's even better because you can work together to talk about the just kind of an honest assessment about how your church is doing. At the end of that, I'm going to do a wrap up before we uh, move, uh, move to the break. OK. All right. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you, God, for uh, those that are here in this room. God, thank you for the leaders that you brought uh, to the forum. Father, thank you for those that are listening, even to this session uh, on podcasts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, just godly leaders that love you, that seek your face, that experience the power and moving of your Holy Spirit. Lord, just help us to be able to be wise in how we assess uh, the culture of our church. And Lord, that we would be culture change agents. Lord, we would move the culture of our church uh, toward a culture that is clearly centered on disciple-making, God. So we, we know that we cannot do this on our own. We're asking for your help. And so, Lord, speak to us even now. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, When Mike Smith took the job of the... uh, Let's see. There you go. There's Mike Smith. When he took the job of the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, they had not had a successive winning uh, season in 42 years. In 42 years, they had not had a successive uh, winning season. Uh, When he took over uh, between 2000 and 2007, they had five different head coaches. If you can imagine that. When he took over 2007, his quarterback uh, went to prison. Uh, the, the coach before him left in the middle of the season uh, and went back to coaching in college. Uh, the front office was in disarray. The communication with the owners was uh, fractured and dysfunctional and, and toxic. And, and so Mike stepped into uh, the head coaching role. And this is what he said. He said, "If I knew that if I was going to turn this team around, the first step would be to focus on transforming the culture. I knew that the biggest priority was to create a winning culture in which every member could thrive and uh, excel. You know, every organization has got a culture. Uh, your church right now has got a, a culture. Um, every business, every team, every family. Uh, a cultures can be defined in lots of different ways. Culture can be defined as uh, what you do or how you do it. Uh, but let me let me offer you this uh, simple definition of culture. Culture, a corporate culture, refers to the shared values, the attitudes, standards, and beliefs that characterize members of an organization and define its nature. All right, it, its shared values, what we value, it's our attitudes we bring, the standards and beliefs that we have that characterize and define the nature Of the culture in which you work and in which you minister, one person said, "A culture is repeated behavior." All right, repeated behavior is is culture. So, in one sense, culture is how we do things around here. It's how we how we roll. Uh, Culture is um, how we get things done. Culture is defined in many many different ways. your family has got a culture, right? You're, if you're raising teenagers, they got a culture about how they do things, right? Some families are all buttoned up, like the Van Trapp family, right? They they got they blow the whistle and everybody lines up. Other families, it's just rolling chaos. It's all about the culture of their family. Your uh, Ball team. I was talking with a, a football team, I'm a chaplain for our local high school football team, and uh, we're 7-0, and praise God, it's a miracle, alright, we're 7-0, and and uh, we, we defeated this team, and I was talking with the head coach of the other team, and man, he was just despondent, they're like 1-6, I mean, they're just really trying. and he said, man, I'm just trying to change the culture, we have a losing culture, not a winning culture, so a culture impacts everything, and it certainly impacts the church. Your church has got a culture about it—the way they think about things, what they value, what's what's really important. Most of the time, what they value is not on a placard on the wall. It's it's just how they do things, what they do that is important or not important. That is a culture that that they have. Your church has got what we're going to talk about assessing in a minute. The the Hagberg Group is a organization that that consults companies and businesses and uh, in their particular consultation they like to ask five questions to assess what a culture of an organization is like here are those five questions the first one is this what ten words would you use to describe your organization not sentences, not phrases, but words. What 10 words would you use to describe your organization? Hey, man, that is awesome. Thank you, Dennis. That way I can not hold this. feel like I'm going to start singing any minute. You know, I'm holding my little pet. All right. Thank you, brother. Give him a hand. That's a really awesome servant, servant leadership right there, man. So what, what 10 words would you do to describe your organization? Single words. All right. Here's another question. Around here, what's really important? Around here, what's really important? Another question is around here, what gets promoted? Uh, what, what, what gets bumped up when you accomplish these things? Another one is around here, what behaviors get rewarded? Who gets rewarded or what, what, what attaboys uh, are you handing out for what behavior? Or around here, who fits in and who doesn't? Who fits in and who doesn't? So culture is really critical because culture determines your organization. If you have a good culture, then you will have a healthy organization. It will be productive. If you have a bad culture, you know it, right? If you have a bad culture, then you know it. Things get dysfunctional. The communication struggles. Goals are unclear. Uh, you have lots of mistrust. You've got lots of conflict and avoiding conflict. Uh, you have a lot of misalignment everything goes downhill really really fast. Um, In pastoring for 22 years I've had seasons when culture was good and I've had situations when culture was bad and uh, part of your role as the leader is to assess the culture and then to make adjustments to that culture to bend it toward health and by the way toxic culture doesn't go away easily it takes intentionality and hard work and many times hard calls on the leadership front to do what is necessary to turn a culture back toward health Uh, edgar shine who is really kind of the father of organizational culture he's a professor at m.i.t sloan school of management has written extensively just google edward shine culture and you'll see a whole litany of books that he's written basically he said the culture exists Uh, on multiple levels of an organization. For example, he said culture is reflected or expressed in the vision uh, of where the church is going, the organization is going. It's reflected in its stated and unstated expectations of a team. What do you expect of this group or a certain team? It's reflected in the values and priorities. Uh, it, It is reflected in the core beliefs that drive an organization. It's reflected in the way you treat one another. And how you treat one another and how you deal with problems reflects culture. Uh, it's reflected in the way that you discipline those who break the values. You know, when accountability comes in, how do you deal with that? That's all a part of culture, the way that you select teams regard, regard a culture. Now, listen, you may say, think up to this point, man, what we're talking about here is not very biblical, Uh, However, I would say that's probably not the case because I was reading in Titus this morning. And in Titus, Paul talks about you got a bunch of Cretans, And these Cretans have a known reputation for causing trouble. And you need to confront those people that are doing that and remove them. And you need to start addressing biblical truth. What is he talking about? He's talking about changing the culture that those churches were getting dysfunctional. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you can see a great picture of a dysfunctional culture. And so many cases, the fact of the matter is, many churches are unhealthy. They are not making disciples. They're not growing. They're not multiplying because they have a dysfunctional culture within them. And so uh, priority number one of of a leader, of a pastor, of a leader, of a leadership team uh, is to address the culture. Now your church may have be great overall, but you've got a dysfunctional student culture or a dysfunctional uh, children's culture or a dysfunctional worship culture. Uh, we've got all those elements in play. And so part of your role is to address that culture. When I um, came to Colleyville, there was a dysfunctional culture, and we had to work hard to address that. And I found if you stay long enough, sometimes the culture will get healthy and then go south, and you got to get healthy again. If you just stay long enough, you may go through several iterations of cultural transformation. Um, we're, just for real honesty, we're dealing with a, a department right now in our church that is, is not healthy. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not functional. Uh, It's got some culture problems that have been there a long time. And so we're ripping the Band-Aid off, and we're dealing with it, and and, uh, that's not always pretty. It's not always easy to do that. Sometimes you just think, I'm not really going to open that door because I know what's behind that door, and I just would rather ignore it. Uh, But the problem is you ignore what's behind that door, it's going to come out and eat you, all right? (laughs) This big, green, hairy monster, all right? So addressing the culture issue is, I think, central to having healthy disciple-making churches. So, so let me give you three things I know about culture, and then we're going to make, make a turn here toward disciple making. Okay? Three things I know about culture or, or organizational culture. First one is this. Culture is shaped at the top. Culture is shaped at the top. So if you are a lead pastor, it's your role to shape the culture. Uh, to defend the culture, to make sure that the culture is healthy. If it's dysfunctional under your leadership, then you have an ownership part of that. And maybe it just starts with you going, you know what? I've just not been leading very well. I'm not, I've allowed some things to happen. I've allowed some situations to go. I've allowed some people to stay that shouldn't. I have allowed some uh, behaviors to roll past under the sense of grace that, that I've, I've allowed. Now it's seeping into the culture. But it is shaped at the top whether you're an elder, leader, uh, or lead pastor. Uh, Second thing I know about culture, it is supported through systems. Culture cannot be sustained without some kind of structure around it. And so there have to be some things that you're building, some systems you're building that perpetuate that culture. Otherwise, it just rolls back and diminishes down to the lowest level. Somebody's going to set the culture pace. Somebody is going to. It's just a matter of are you going to, who you're going to let do that. Are you going to do that? Are you going to let somebody else do that? You're going to let somebody say, well, pastor, we don't do it that way around here. Or, pastor, we've never done it like that before. Or, pastor, well, I, I, you know, this is how I want to do things. Well, th- those are all culture conversations. And so you've got to have some kind of supportive system uh, to address that. Uh, to keep it rolling and healthy. Thirdly, culture is sustained through emerging leaders. Uh, Once you have a healthy culture, the way you sustain that healthy culture long-term is your emerging leaders that have that same culture and have that same vision, have that same values, and then we will sustain it moving forward. That's why you can see some churches and they may have a great culture and then they have a leadership change and the culture goes down because they weren't able to sustain it by emerging new leaders that would continue and take it forward in the days ahead. So over the next um, several breakouts, uh, today and tomorrow, we're gonna be leaning into this idea of culture. And how do you shape a disciple making culture how do you make a disciple making culture really the issue if you go well, you know we don't have a disciple making culture we want one in our church this is a culture issue a- and things are the way they are for a reason and so you're going to bring change you're going to introduce change into a an environment that probably doesn't want change right uh, most most people don't like change and so they like it just the way it is so you're going to be changing the culture when I went to First Colville I, I mentioned before that it was it, there were some dysfunctional elements to it, and it certainly did not have a disciple-making culture. And so, over the course of time, we had to make some strategic moves to shift the culture to be intentionally disciple-making. And so, we're going to get into those specifically uh, over the successive um, uh, times we get together. So, I hope that you'll be a part of that. Um, so let's just start right here with the definition of disciple-making culture. What is a disciple-making culture? This is my best uh, swing at the ball of defining what a di- disciple-making culture is. By the way, there's a lot of talk right now about disciple-making culture. I've just kind of bumped in. I, I'm seeing that buzzword around, so I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about it. What, what exactly is a disciple-making culture? Here, here's what I have. Uh, a church with a disciple-making culture is a church that models personal disciple-making from the top, provides a clear disciple-making pathway for its members, and produces disciple-makers who multiply their lives in others. Let me just repeat that. A church that uh, is a disciple-making culture is a church that models personal disciple-making from the top. That is from the lead pastor. Down. Provides a clear disciple-making pathway. For its members and produces disciple makers that will multiply their lives in the lives of others. All right. Now we just got to go on 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 a limb and say most churches do not have a disciple making culture. Would you agree with that? Most churches don't. They're not valuing that. They may be valuing uh, certain numbers or certain type of worship or certain type of other programs, but they're not intentionally. Uh, a disciple-making culture. What gets measured is not disciple-making. What gets rewarded is not disciple-making. What gets cheered on is not disciple-making. Those that get promoted are not necessarily disciple-makers. They, they do other things. And that is why so many churches I think are stag- stagnant or declining. Tom Rainer, who just stepped down from uh, LifeWay uh, organization he said this. He said that according to their data and research, only 6% of churches in the United States are growing. I don't know uh, what do you think about that. 6% are growing. So now I'm not a big math guy. I went to public school and, and, to a, and went to Texas Tech. So I can't be very smart. Uh, but I think what that tells me is that about 94% then uh, are not growing, are either plateaued or declining and uh, that may be where your church is right now I mean if you just let the numbers we always say at our church uh, facts are our friends facts are our friends even though we don't like them they are our friends and so what are the facts and if you just pull the facts of your church uh, what that says is uh, uh, less than one out of 10 in here are going to be in a positive growth mode. The rest of us are going to be in a situation where we are in plateau or declining. That's a culture issue. What is the culture of our church? And so uh, uh, let me just say that this was before my first pastor ever that that I uh, I was on on a staff with the church, first time I was a lead pastor, I went to a church in Oklahoma. This church had a great reputation. Uh, it was. It had. If I could just draw a picture for it for you: red brick, big white steeple you could see from the freeway, uh, big stained glass windows, uh, blue carpet in the, in the auditorium, massive pipe organ on the back wall. Uh, you get the picture. You're you're in the long. Uh, rectangular shape with Corinthian columns on the inside, all right? That was the church that I pastored. And uh, it had a great reputation. The the leader before had been there for like 14 years, which is a long time. He went from there to be the executive of the denomination, uh, which oversaw many, many churches, and office was right down the street. Uh, He was very, very loved uh, by the church family there. I was 30 years old stepping in as a lead pastor there. The church was running around 800 or so when I got there. Uh, and, And from all practical purposes it looked like this stable solid church that was really impervious to the changes of the culture around it. And yet it was not what it appeared to be. What I mean by that is filled with loving people, filled with godly people, People that wanted to carry on the Great Commission, but the neighborhoods around this church were changing, and the people within the church were not, and that became a a dysfunctional situation. Churches around in the neighborhood were starting to decline, decline rapidly. Uh, it was a very diverse uh, neighborhood, multiple ethnicities around uh, the church, uh, from African American to Hispanic to Asian. Um, uh, all different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, it was a, it was becoming more and more urban in its uh, setting. Uh, we had also lots of just a div- a disparity with economically, socioeconomically. We had some people that had wealth and then homeless people coming in uh, quite frequently. So it, it was just, it was the most diverse place I'd ever seen in my life uh, up to that point. And uh, so, The church, I did everything I did. When I got there, I was 30 years old, man, gangbusters. I had my little ministry bag of my little bag of tricks, and I thought, man, I'm going to do this and blow this thing up. Here we go, baby, right? And I got in there, and I preached like the best I could, and I gave them all the things that I had done in the previous church that I'd seen work and didn't even move the needle. I mean, the church three years later was not growing. Now it wasn't in decline, but it wasn't moving forward, and so I did at that time what uh, most people do when they don't know what to do. I called a consultant, right? So I called this consultant. He said, "Don't worry about it, Craig. I'm going to do a CAT scan of your church. I'm going to figure out what's wrong. I'm going to tell you how to fix." I'm like. Thank you, Lord. That would, that, that would sound great. And so he does, he gets all the data and he analyzes it. And he does focus groups and he meets with people and he observes and he, he crunches all the numbers and he produces a, a folder that is now sitting on my desk. And I, I, I can see it right now like, like it was yesterday. I'm sitting at my desk, that folder is in front of me, and I'm just staring at it, trying to decide if I'm going to open it up or not. <laughs> and I thought to myself this could be really good or really bad and it could be really good because maybe I'm gonna open up he's gonna say oh well you just missed this this and this And if you do that then uh, tweak a few knobs and and everything's gonna be great but it could be really bad too because he may say you know you've done everything you can do and there's nothing else to be done and so I remember opening it up and basically I I won't bore you with the details but basically what he said is that hey uh, the culture around the church doesn't fit the culture in the church, which I already knew that. And he said, there's not really anything about that unless you want to relocate, uh, but church is going to die a slow death. And I remember shutting that folder and burying my head in my face in my hands. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And then I slid out of my chair and onto the floor and with my face in the carpet and I just started to pray and my prayer was something like this Lord surely you did not call me here to hold the hand of a dying church surely that's not your church prevailing that's not your vision That's not your desire it's not what you want for this church but I don't know how to fix this we did not have a disciple-making culture. We did not have an evangelism culture. We did not have an outreach culture. We didn't, and I, as a young pastor, I did not know what to do. And so we just began to pray. I gathered our staff together and we started praying. At 6 a.m., uh, a couple times a week, we met, we called some of these great prayer warriors in our church to gather with us, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And through the course of about, you know, several months of praying, that God revealed some things. Uh, to me for that location but one of the things that God revealed to me was this Craig you've been searching out models of all these different churches you've been going oh that church has got it going on let's go check out their model or that church is going let's check out their model but he said you have failed to look at my model you have failed to fully understand and put into practice my model that I gave you which was the Jesus style model of disciple making Honestly, guys, I didn't really even fully understand what that meant. I mean, I'd read a book here or there, but I fully did not have an understanding. I never really studied the life of Christ and chronology. I never really studied the life of Christ. What did he do in year one, year two, and year three? I never really understood these things. I was just running church like I had always known. And that was a real turning point for us to say, we've got to get on board with how Jesus wanted his church run. Because His promise was this, that if we will make disciples, if we will go and we will baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we will teach them to obey all that I have commanded, that He will be with us. Do you believe that? He'll be with you. No matter where you are. He will will move by the power of His Holy Spirit. And so we began uh, that journey. And... um, God began to allow us to move through uh, several stages, several steps, if you will, uh, of how to transition a church to be a disciple-making church. And I will say that uh, over the course of the next several years, we had to change the culture of our church. And over the over specific moves and some of the things we're going to be sharing with you over the next couple of breakouts, how we changed those. Uh, the culture to become more intentional disciple making and the church began to grow and the church began to multiply and we began to reach people that had never reached before we began to multiply churches and multiply campuses and began to see uh, renewal in the urban, urban city that we had never seen before and listen that wasn't just because of great leadership it was because we were getting on board with how Jesus told us to do it in the first place so it all starts with assessing your culture you can't go somewhere until you know where you're starting from, right? right. And you can't create a path or a roadmap map until you know where you're starting from. And so what I want us to do uh, for just a moment is, is take a minute to assess uh, your own culture, the culture of uh, your church and so you have a handout there and uh, the handout is is describes to you a little bit about the culture that you have and what I would like for you to do is uh, if you're just by yourself then you can certainly do this on your own uh, if you are with a team then it would be great for you to do this with your team but what i like for you to do is to uh do a little assessment see the cultural assessment should look something like this all right you have that in your hand all right okay all right if you if you have a team uh, that you can share one of these and that would be great, then maybe you could hold it up and somebody else that doesn't have one of these could also get one, alright but here's what I want you to do, first off I want you to, to take these ten words that describe your church, I want you to take a few minutes, if you don't have a, a handout, then you can just write it on a separate piece of paper, you have an extra one there does anybody need a, a handout that they don't have one alright, there, there we go, here's another one right up here, alright, great Any of you? anybody else would like to volunteer alright, very good Thank you. There's one back here if we need somebody needs one. Uh, we got one back here. All right. First thing I want you to do is take a few minutes and to write down the 10 words that best describe your church right now. Not aspirational. All right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not aspirational, uh, factual. How would you I don't know your church. You're going to give me the 10 words that accurately depict what Uh, how you would describe your church right now. Go ahead and uh, do that. We're going to take just a couple minutes. Fill that out. Everybody busy working on that right now, okay? On the next page, there are three questions there. I want you to answer those three questions, okay? Around your church, what's most important? Again, if you're with your team, you can collaborate with your team. That'd be great. Around your church, what behaviors get recognized and rewarded? Think about... Who was the next, last time somebody got recognized for something or rewarded for something? What gets recognized and rewarded and around your church, who gets promoted and who doesn't fit in? Okay, we're going to take just a second to, um, to talk about this uh, with each other. But before I do, let me just make a statement that many times the, the top leader doesn't fully understand what the culture is. There there's, can be, depending on the size of the organization, you can be a little isolated from what's really going on. <laughs> uh, because you're thinking, "Oh man, my, I'll talk about, oh no, my culture is great, and the guy behind him is going. you know and I'm like okay there's a little you know and I've I've had that too oh yeah I mean everything's awesome in there no Greg it's really not awesome you don't know about this conversation I've had and that issue that's blowing up over there you know and so we have to acknowledge if you're a senior leader you have to understand that you may not fully grasp and so these are really great questions to ask uh, down in the organization what do you think how do you perceive what gets rewarded? How do you perceive what's important? How do you perceive who fits in and who doesn't fit in? The, the, this would be a very healthy exercise. Again, in order for you to draw a, 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 a roadmap to getting to a destination, you not only know where you're going, but where you're starting from. And, and a clear understanding, you know, I think Jim Collins uh, talks about this in, the, in his book, a classic book, Good to Great. He said, you just have to have a, a sense of the reality of where you are now, and uh, what is the culture you're trying to change, and, and how is it culture? So what, what I want you to do is just take a minute, and I want you to talk to somebody right next to you. If they're in your team, great. If they're not in your team, I want you to talk about those 10 ways you describe your church and, and your answer to these three questions, All right we should hear a buzz in the room all right as you're just it'll be good it'll be cathartic all right it'll be it'll be good to get it out of your system all right uh to say you know what this is what i this is where we are you know whatever it is go ahead and speak it out all right it's okay we're all friends here together all right we're going to get to a better place all right all right so go ahead As we go through each of the segments that we're training you on, we will have a time for you to talk it out because it's very important when you talk about culture to be able to talk out these things with either somebody on your team or somebody that sometimes they good to somebody that you don't know, right? You could just, like I said, it can be cathartic to just uh, address the obvious and where what culture issues. Um, All right. So, I'm just gonna pump the brakes here for just a second. Any question you have related to culture so far? Anything that kind of came out of your talk or your discussions about culture, a question do you have about it? I know we're just kind of touching on it and then we're we're talking about then more specifically disciple making culture, but anything regarding culture that you have a question about or you have a clarification about? Yeah, the question was, what, what are some behaviors that in a church will get rewarded or recognized? How, how would you answer that? Attendance?
0: Oh,
1: okay. You had attendance?
0: Contributions?
1: Contributions. Okay.
0: Service in the church?
1: Service? How many people are serving? Yeah. So, so uh, baptisms? So, this is all more church culture than staff culture. Now. Right. Now, you can pull this down into staff culture as well. All right. Yeah. So, you can assess church culture. That's a good point. Uh, like in our current situation we we retooled the staff culture some of that came with some transitions on staff some of saying hey we need to just restate what is the behaviors and norms we want for our staff and so we articulated staff values we have a way to perpetuate that on a weekly or monthly basis we, when we do assessments we assess how they're participating in that culture those that don't fit would be people that don't hold up to these six things we say are important to us. In fact, when we hire on, we say these are the six things. This is how to make this a great experience for you, these six. These are, this is how to run this experience. And basically we give the opposite of those six. And those are just some hardwiring ways that we try to perpetuate a staff culture. But, you know, culture is also church-wide. Now, hopefully your church body is going to be reflected from your staff, right? If your staff is dysfunctional, the church is probably going to be, which is typically how things work, uh, right? We're all friends, right? And uh, and if your staff is healthy and growing and on point, then your church will tend to follow that as well. Yeah. You know, uh, like uh, another behavior that we reward is uh, groups that multiply. We recognize groups that multiply. We cheer them on. We celebrate them because what gets celebrated gets done. And that's a behavior we want to champion. So when somebody goes, well, how come you didn't didn't recognize my group? Well, when you multiply, then we will, (laughs) you know? And that's a part of the culture of saying, hey, this is important. We want to multiply healthy groups. So that would be an, an answer. Any other questions about culture that come to your mind as you're thinking through your culture right now? Yeah. So the question was, how does culture and identity interface? And I think they are somewhat semantics, right? You know, Here's who we are, right? It would be an identity question. You know, this, our church is this, but that thing that you're saying we are is supported by a culture of that. Right? So I think that culture and identity can be somewhat synonymous. At least that's the way I see it. I may be off base on that. But when I think about, you know, we're a, we a disciple-making church. This is our identity. Well, what, how do you know that? Well, we have a culture of disciple-making within it, see? Or we're or an evangelistic church, or we're a worship church, whatever that thing would be. You would have a culture that fosters that value and behavior. Yeah? So the question was, when you're changing culture, that implies you have to change, and how, to what extent do you read up and learn about organizational change? Cotter's classic book, he's got actually a couple of books on change. Uh, One has to do with urgency, one is the more, the initial book on change. Is I would highly recommend. You know, honestly, change is, is one of those things that every organization must do to stay viable. Right? Changes can, but it is the one thing your people don't want to do. That's right. And so you're actually asking them to do something they don't want to do and uh, and they're gonna be resistant to that and I think some some pastors make the mistake of changing too rapidly right you you know the ones that came in in the first six months we're gonna blow everything up we're gonna change and you know then he doesn't last very long right because they make a change in the pulpit <laughs> like, okay you're the next change out you know uh, or you have some guys that they never get around to making a change they're so paralyzed by fear that they never get around to and they just hope that maybe somehow it will change down the road and somewhere between those two ditches you've got to stay on the road and that is and that that's a whole other uh topic that we could address about organizational change and what is a process that you take in organization but it's very very important and so when you're talking about disciplinary culture if you don't have one it's going to imply some changes some of these changes will be more felt than others and we're going to get into that when we discuss uh a pathway Uh, I'm going to show you exactly what I mean. We're going to take a look at what did Jesus do? What does that look like in the context of local church? What changes would need to be made? Okay? How would you relate change to transformation? Well, I think, again, they're somewhat synonymous, right? A transformation is a change. And I think that you're going to have to go through lots of micro changes to see an overall transformation in the life of your church. There are going to be some key decisions that you make that are going to set you on a course toward transforming the church to be healthy. Uh, I just know from the two churches that I led through a change, one was inner city, one was suburban, one was poor, broke, one was, had resources, you know, one, one was very diverse, one was homogenous. I mean, they were very different in churches, but both of them had to go through a process of change to get to a healthy place. And uh, every church is going to have to go through seasons of change. Oh, that's a great question. The question was, how long does a change take? <laughs> and that kind of depends on how big it is, right? You know, if it's a small thing, then, you know, you can probably get by uh, with it pretty quickly. Um, you know, we just went through a series of considerable change at our church. Uh, a lot of this is not theory to me. This is I've got the scars to show it and for it. And uh, um you know, like Paul, I bear in my body the marks, uh, you know, of change. And, uh, uh, and, and I would say that I banked uh, uh, some years in on the front end, uh, still bringing changes but not big, huge ones. But then when I, I knew I had enough leadership chips in the bank, then I cashed a lot of them in. And I knew I was going to cash them in, uh, but... I had, the, I had been discipling people on the way. I'd been drawing people to me. People had a high level of trust. What we were doing, we'd had some wins already behind us. So we were ready to tackle some more aggressive changes. And um, sometimes guys try to make changes when they don't have enough in the bank to cover it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just the leadership, trust. Uh, the people are like, I don't trust you enough for that. And so some of those bigger things may take some time. Unless... And, and Moody would, would probably back me up on this, unless the organization is so desperate that the desperation allows them to tolerate bigger change. Then you can have a, a new pastor come in and bring big changes because they know if they don't do it, they're going to die. But if you don't have that desperation, then you better log in some hours on the front end and uh, relationships so that they know that you they can trust you and so on. know that's all kind of off what I mean it's all in the context what we're talking about but uh. so I said three things we know about uh, organizational culture it's shaped at the top it's supported through systems and it's sustained through emerging leaders so here's what we're going to do over the next uh, three sessions we're going to address these three Uh, the next session we're going to take a break if you come back to that next session We're going to address this one, culture is shaped at the top. And I'm going to talk about the role of the senior pastor in shaping a disciple-making culture and why it's so important that the lead pastor take the lead role in creating a disciple-making culture. I'm going to give you uh, 10 uh, convictions that a disciple-making pastor will have. I'm going to give you four practices of a disciple-making pastor. And I'm going to surface Uh, I think, three or four uh, common problems that hinder a pastor from leading the way to a church becoming a disciple-making church. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about in the next session. And then we will do an assessment of you as, if you're a lead pastor, we'll do an assessment of how you are doing in this role. Uh, I won't ask you to stand up and confess it. It's just between you and God. All right, We all have room to grow. Amen? Uh, But uh, we're going to lead through an assessment like that, okay? The next time we meet, which I think is tomorrow, yeah, uh, at 8.15, if you're here for that one, we're going to tackle this one, culture supported through systems. And what I'm going to show you is how to create a disciple-making pathway. This particular uh, one, we're going to look at the life of Christ. We're going to look at how did Jesus create a disciple-making pathway. I'm going to show you the four steps Jesus used to create a disciple making pathway and how you can take that out of the scriptures and download that and do an assessment of all your programming and how to intentionally start to shift your programming to fit an intentional disciple making pathway okay it's a very very critical one it will be i'm going to give you a uh, a tool that you can take back and use with all your departments to assess their programming to see if it's intentional, intentionally making disciples, okay? Uh, so we're going to do another evaluation. Then uh, the, the next time we get together, which will be uh, still in the morning, I think, on tomorrow, we're going to deal with it sustained through emerging leaders. And we're going to talk about how to pass on your disciple-making DNA to emerging leaders in your church. How do you? How do I get disciple makers in my church? Everybody wants to have disciple makers, right? The the trick is you got to you got to build them. You got to grow them yourself, right? You can't just get them from transfer letter, you know, from uh, the other church down the street. You got to make them yourself. And so, how do you make disciple makers? How do you keep them making disciples and keep them motivated uh, over the long haul? Four things you must do. Uh, to create a culture that is sustaining of disciple making. Okay, and then the last session we'll do uh, tomorrow uh, afternoon is we're going to do a, a panel discussion uh, with several guys about how this has actually played out in real time in our churches. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going we're to be real honest, unfiltered. And unafraid, okay? We're gonna talk about it uh, and be able to get your interactions and questions about what that looks like, okay? So that's kind of where we're headed. We talked about culture today. Hopefully, you got started the wheels turning about what is the culture of your church. These things are how you start to change the culture. Of your church okay so that's what we're going to be talking about Uh, Dr. Chris Moody uh, over here is pastor of First Baptist Beaumont Texas he took his church to a very dramatic transformation Uh, and he will be sharing that story and then he'll be teaching this segment on culture is shaped at the top and he's going to be covering the role of the senior pastor in transforming your church to be intentional disciple making OK, so that'll be the next session after the break. Any questions about that? Yeah. So when I talk about shape at the top, what we're going to be talking about specifically is the role of the senior pastor yes. and and or senior elders, depending on your ecclesiastical structure. OK, but uh, we're going to talk about that role. And here's why, because there are many pastors that I've say, do you want to disciple making church? Absolutely. I've hired a guy that's a disciple making guy. And he's going to make that happen. That's that's what I'm talking. That's what we're going to talk about right there. Why is it so necessary that the lead pastor have a role? And listen, you may be in the second chair or in the third chair, and you're like, okay, so how does that work then for me if my lead pastor is not on board? Well, we'll talk about that. Isn't that a great commercial? We'll talk about that in the next session.
0: You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast make sure to download a copy of a free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few at discipleship.org disciplefirst. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.